pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to start a new three-part series. I'm bad at guessing sometimes how long my series lasts, but I think this will be a three-parter. And I'm calling it The Greatest Challenge. The Greatest Challenge. And it is the greatest challenge that you will face. It is the greatest challenge any Christian will ever face. Now, one of the great challenges that people have taken, uh, I would say, advantage of or wanted to do is to climb this mountain right here. That's Mount Everest. It's 36,000 feet high. It's the tallest mountain on earth. Um, I checked it out. That's about five miles high is how big that is. And I I looked up on... um, uh, I wanted to find out how many people... Although thousands have climbed it, I wanted to find out how many people have actually died on Mount Everest. And so I looked it up on uh, Wikipedia, and here's what it said about it. By the way, uh, the first person to take that challenge was Sir Edmund Hillary. Remember that? Or at least in modern terms. I remember learning about him when I was a little kid. Okay, but after he broke that barrier of that challenge and showed everybody else they could do it, hundreds, thousands began to follow him. And so here's what Wikipedia said about the people who have died on that. Over 330 people have died attempting to reach the summit of Mount Everest. It is the Earth's highest um, mountain and a particularly desirable peak for mountaineers. Deaths have been attributed to avalanches, falls, seric collapse, whatever that is, exposure, frostbite, or health problems related to conditions on the mountain. Not all bodies have been located, so details on those deaths are not available. The upper reaches of the mountain are in the death zone, a mountainous term for altitudes above a certain point, that is above 26,000 feet, because of the atmospheric pressure where the oxygen pressure level is not sufficient to sustain human life. Many deaths in high-altitude mountaineering have caused, been caused by the effects of the death zone, either directly loss of vital functions or indirectly unwise decisions made under stress or physical weakening leading to accidents. In the death zone, the human body cannot acclimatize. I think I got it right. As it uses oxygen faster than it can be replenished. An extended stay in the zone without supplementary oxygen, that is oxygen tanks, will result in deterioration of bodily functions, loss of consciousness, and death. So that is one of the greatest challenges you could ever take on this earth. And there are 330 people who did not uh, make it there. But people want to do do that. Many people want to do that. They want to take the greatest challenge. Now, where I went to India, Vito's house, where I go each year, uh, it is in the foothills of the Himalayas. And uh, there's no snow at that, but you can tell it's the Himalayas because uh, he took me up there just a little bit and I want to tell you, it wasn't like the rolling hills you see here. It was sheer cliffs, straight. I mean, it's like that going up those mountains. And I remember one time he took, took me to this place, and it was 
straight down like that, and I kicked a rock off there. You like I can tell I'm in the Himalayas because it looks just like that, just just straight up. The um, Mount Everest is about a three-hour flight from where Vito lives, and I said, Vito, I really want to go to Mount Everest one day just to see it. And so I talked him in to taking me to Mount Everest. And so I decided to take that challenge of climbing all the way to the top, and there I am. <laughs> On top of Mount Everest. Actually, it's the parking lot in Ash Flat after a snow. They had been scraped across, but uh, I had Peyton take a picture. I said, let's make this look like I'm in Mount Everest, okay? So anyway, but I'm talking about the greatest challenge and the greatest challenge is what we've been singing about. Just a closer walk with Thee. The greatest challenge is daily walking close to God. That's my greatest challenge. Did you hear that? That's your preacher's greatest challenge. Because the way I'm wired, you can tell I'm kind of wound tight and I'm very busy. I like to stay busy and I go at it 100 miles an hour all the time. And it is hard for me to wake up and to sit still before God and want to connect with Him. Because I'm already thinking about what I need to do that day. I'm already thinking about, listen to this, getting sermons ready for Sunday and Wednesday night. But you know what? God is not primarily concerned with me preaching as much as He wants me to spend daily time walking with Him. Because if I spend daily time walking with Him, then I will preach out of the overflow of what God's been doing in my heart during the week. There is the first incident instance of in the Bible of what we know two people who walked with God. And it's right there in the third chapter of Genesis. We're going to take a look at that in just a moment. And it's the first human beings who ever lived, Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that apparently, from what we see later on in that passage, that they, every morning, would meet with God after they slept, apparently, just like us. They would meet with God, and they would physically walk with God. Now, don't you think that as they walked with God, they talked with God? And apparently he was in, this, uh, in a visible situation. I don't know how long it was from the time they were created that they walked with God than when they blew it, <laughs> when Satan tempted them and, and God banished them from the garden and banished them from seeing Him physically anymore, walking with them. I don't know how long it was. I imagine... I imagine it was probably a few weeks, maybe. Maybe not longer than that. But God had told them, meet me every morning. The Bible says He met them in the cool of the day. That's in the morning usually, is it not? Um, and so they would literally walk and talk uh, with God. And that's what God wants us to do every day. If we're saved. Got to enter that relationship first, but if we're saved, He wants us to walk and talk with Him. And I want to tell you, it is my greatest challenge to sit still, be quiet, and spend intimate time with God. 
And you know what? I guarantee you, that will be your greatest challenge. And so I'm going to talk about that for the next three weeks. Now we're going to answer, it's actually three different questions. The first question I'm going to deal with today is, why don't we walk close to God? If we, God has invited us and we can do it, why don't we do it? And we're going to, if you have your bulletin, in there is the verses that we're going to use. I'll put the points on the screen, but I want you to really read these verses. Um, And they all come out of the story of Adam and Eve when they blew it and stopped walking with God. So here are the first principle. Here is the first principle. Anybody need uh, one of the bulletins? Anybody not get one? Anybody not get one? I think we got it. We got it all covered. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. One, the first reason, and these are in the same order as Adam and Eve, why do we not walk with God is we doubt the Word of God. God has said to us, the best thing you can ever do is walk with me every day. And when we don't walk with Him closely every day, every day we're basically saying to God, is, is that really what I want to do? Is it really so necessary I do that? We doubt the Word of God. Look in Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent, that's Satan, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. Now apparently Satan is possessing a snake here because he calls him the beast of the field. And he said to the woman, apparently, I don't know, at this time maybe did animals talk? I don't know. We read later on that God opened the mouth of a donkey to talk to Balaam. God can speak through donkeys if He wants to. You got a donkey in this pulpit every Sunday morning, right? And God can still speak through this donkey. Okay, but maybe... um, uh, God, I mean, maybe at that time animals could, animals could speak. But look what he said here. Let's go back and read again. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said... You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now here's the most important thing I want you to see. Uh, if you have a pen, I want you to circle it. I want you to circle that word, that, that um, symbol of the question mark. Circle that question mark. He put a question mark behind God's word. You see, the first word God spoke to them that we have recorded, He, 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 said, he said, you can... You can do anything here. You can eat of any tree in this garden. There's only one tree I don't want you to eat from. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, if you eat of that tree, in the very day you eat of it, you'll die. Now let me just pause there because I want to clarify something. Did they die... On that day, they ate that fruit. No, they did not physically. They did not die emotionally and psychologically because they were afraid of God. They died spiritually. And at that point, 
They were born, I mean, they were cut off from God. And that's the way humanity is. We are born cut off from God. We are born, as Ephesians said, dead in our sins. And we need a spiritual resurrection. And Jesus said, in order to go to heaven, you must be born again, which means born from above. You've got to be resurrected in the dead spirit you were born with. But God said, don't you touch that tree. It will have massive consequences. Do you know why what's happening over in Israel? And what's happened to, from what I understand of historians, there's been over 5,000 wars recorded in human history. Death and shed. You might want to help her turn, turn that off since you can't hear. Oh, oh, it's back there? Oh, okay, yeah, see if we can uh, get that cut off just a little bit because... Um, I don't know. It may be out in the hallway, Gail. Anyway, I'll just pause it just for a minute. That's okay. I just, I don't want y'all to. Y'all got your phones off about there on vibrate? Is it coming from out there, that sound? Oh, I think they, uh, all right, everybody got your phones off? Just, everybody got your phones off right now? Just want to make sure. I keep hearing beeping. Yeah, they said that they don't have their phones on out there. So, oh, can you? Okay, Gail, go see if you can help them with that. Sorry. <laughs> the good thing about our podcast, I've got an edit button. I can edit out all this dead space. Uh, but anyway, we God told them, don't eat of that tree. There's going to be massive bad results. And the reasons we have wars, the reasons why we have killings and baby beheadings and the slaughter of people is because it all goes back to when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they sinned against God and it was like an explosion that threw this whole world into a fallen state and it's why we sinned. We don't sin, I mean, we're not sinners because we do acts of sin. We sin because our fallen nature, which produces those acts of sin. And so the devil said, did God really say, if you eat of that tree, that you're going to have these bad consequences? God is just holding out on you. Is what he's saying to them. God gave them a word and they didn't heed it. God gives us a word every day and he expects us to heed it. If we read this, we need to heed this. And we need to do it every morning. And so here's what the devil says to us today Do you really need to read this every day? Why don't you just come on Sunday and hear the preacher preach it? Why don't you just wait and hear the Sunday school teacher teach it? Why do you need to spend time reading this word every day? Listen to this, even if you don't understand it, you still read it. You know why we don't do it? Because we doubt the word of God that it's really going to impact us. That it's really worth doing it. That's why, listen, if you're not spending time with God every day, you know what you're saying? I doubt the word of God. I doubt that God said the greatest commandment is for me to love Him with all my heart. 
So we doubt the Word of God. Uh, look at what God said to Joshua. He said, Joshua, you're now in charge of the Israelites. You're going to go into some severe battles. But then He gave him a promise. Because we face the battles of life, do we not? Here's how to live our lives and have victory. Joshua 1.8 Never stop reciting these teachings. That was the Bible. You must think about them, how much? Night and day. Every day. So that you may be faithful, so that you will faithfully, look at this, do everything written in them. Only then, meaning only reading the Word of God, only meditating it all, all, all day long, only obeying it, what you read, he said, only then will you prosper and succeed. Now, everybody here, if I were to say, would you like to have a prosperous life? Would you like to succeed and have victory over different things in your life that may be plaguing you? Is that what you really want? Everybody here would say, of course that's what I want. Well, God said, here's how you get it. You spend time walking daily with me, and I'll grow you. You'll get close to me. But every morning, He's given us an invitation. Why don't you walk with me? But we don't do it because we doubt that that's really, really worth it or make a difference in our lives. Now, here's the next thing. We believe that if we walk with God and do what He says to do, that we're going to miss out on something. Look at what Satan tempted them with. Genesis 3, verses 3 through 5. Remember he said, did God really tell you that? And then the Satan says, it's only... Uh, excuse me, this is uh, um, Eve answering Satan. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of God, the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God says, see, she knew the Word of God. God said we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. Now look what Satan says. You won't die. The serpent hissed. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. Here's what he's saying to them. If you eat of that, you see, God's holding out on you. If you eat of that, that's going to be a good thing. You're going to become like God. You're going to be able to call the shots. You're going to experience total fulfillment. And he was deceiving them. And he told them, you spend time with God every day. You obey, don't obey and get to that tree and you're going to miss out. Can I tell you the biggest deception, especially among young people, is this. I will wait till I get older and get serious about my relationship with God. Because right now, I want to have my fun, do my own thing, because I don't want to miss out. You're listening to the devil when you hear that. That is the devil's voice when you hear that. Some of the greatest men of God who moved heaven and earth in the Bible were young teenagers. Did you know that Daniel was a young teenager? And you've been reading that in uh, ladies in your Sunday school class. 
Daniel is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It helps predict the end of time, of what's happening right, even right now. And he was a teenager when he went to Babylon. And so were Shadnach, oh, Shadnach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were teenagers, and they stood for God in a wicked land called Babylon, and they did not compromise, even to the point where they said to Nebuchadnezzar, you may throw us in the fiery furnace, God may deliver us, or He may not deliver us, but one thing's for sure, we're not going to bow to you as teenagers. How many Christian teenagers are bowing to this culture? But just, just think about this. Think about this. That can be us as adults as well. God convicts us of something. God tells us to do something. And we don't do it. You know why? Because we like what we're doing. And we feel like if we give that up, this is a temptation I face. It's the greatest challenge you'll face. We feel like if we give that particular thing up, that we will miss out on something we want. Look at what Jesus said about this in Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus said to the disciples, If any one of you wants to be my follower, that is, walk real close to me, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, And follow me, walk close to me. And then Jesus gives them a warning. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. That is, if you live it like, well, I just, I'm afraid I'll miss out if I walk close to God. Jesus said, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. Real life. The life God intends. When I was, you know, I told you I was saved when I was 10 years old, and I didn't grow in the Lord, and so when I got to late elementary school, high school especially, and then through first year of college, man, I just went away from God. So far away from God. I think I broke the record for being so far away from God. I really do. But when God got a hold of me and knocked the props out of me uh, when I was 19 years old, You see, I was hanging out with people who were bad news. I was hanging out with people who dealt drugs. I was hanging out with people who lived a very, very immoral lifestyle. Not homosexuality, but the other kind of (laughs) immoral lifestyle. And sad to say, I went right along with them in that. And I knew that when when I rededicated my life to the Lord and repented of all those years of wandering, the Bible says don't walk with those who scoff at God. You know what I had to do? Every friend that I'd hung out for years, especially one who'd been my best friend since we were in fourth grade, we were like brothers, I had to cut off. I had no friends. Zero friends. The only friends I had at that time was my mom and dad, and thank God for them, and my sisters. No friends for a period of time. All by myself. I'm going to be in a pretty popular guy, at least among my heathen friends, to nothing. But you know what happened during that time? 
when I was alone with God, I became a friend of God. And I realized Jesus was all I needed. And God wanted me to be alone with Him at that time. And I realized, you know what? I'm not missing out on what they're doing, on the way I used to live. They're missing out on what I have now. Look at what it says in Psalm 84 verse 10. A single day in your courts, that is your presence we would say today, is better than a thousand outside anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than to live the good life in the homes of the wicked. The devil will tell you, if you get serious about this, especially as a teenager, teenagers, let's say, what have we got, three? <laughs> a little bit older. The devil will try to convince you you live this way and you'll miss out. And the thing is, you're missing out of what you could have with God at this age. And adults... I'm preaching to you just as much, if not more, if you're not spending time with God every day. I know you won't be perfect. I'm not perfect, but virtually every day I walk with God in His Word. But there are times when the devil deceives me. There's times when the devil says to me, Jeff, you don't have to spend time. You're busy today. You've got to run. You've got to run. And so I doubt the Word of God, and I believe that I will miss out on something I need to do that day. And so that's why it's the greatest challenge. It's the greatest challenge I will ever face. Look what Jesus said in John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only, that's the devil, to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life, that is salvation, and then once they get it, have it to the full. How do you have life to the full? You daily walk close to God. You take the greatest challenge every day. Now here's the next thing, quickly. Kind of goes along with that one. We believe our plans are better. We believe we know better than God knows. Look what it says here in Genesis 3 verse 6. The woman saw that the tree had fruit that was good to eat. Man, check this out, Satan says. It looks good. That's what God does. I mean, that's what the devil does. He, look, he tells the world, I mean, he brings the world in front of you. Look at this. It looks great, does it not? She said, I mean, it said it was nice to look at and desirable for making someone wise. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, Eve was deceived by Satan. Adam knew full well what he was doing. And the Bible says the sin nature comes from the man. Romans chapter 5, for through one man centered, one man sent into the world. And so death, spiritual death, spread to all men because all have sinned. And so they thought, even though God has told us this, Satan has said, you don't need to listen to God. You can have a better plan. You can be like God. You can sit on the throne of your life. You can call the shots. And they said, that plan sounds better. 
Who is this coming from, those thoughts? It's coming from the devil himself. We believe our plans are better. Can I tell you, the average Christian young person you talk to, you ask them, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? What are you going to major in in college? What do you want to do after college? And most of them have at least some kind of plan or idea. And that's okay. That's okay. But you need to, instead of taking this sheet and writing in all that you want to do, you, you need to tear that up and give God a blank sheet and say, God, what are your plans for my life? Let Him fill it in. We believe our plans are better. Now this verse is not on your outline, but I wrote it down this morning. I'd always put little finishing touches before I preach. And this verse came to my mind. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, your plans, your decisions... That we're to trust in Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, your plans, your desires, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. That word direct doesn't just mean He will point the way. It means He'll go before you and clear out the rubble and make the road straight for you to go down it. And we believe our plans are better than God's. Now here's the last thing, real quick. This is a big one. Might be the biggest one here that's keeping us from walking close to God is we are driven away by guilt. Look what it says in in, uh, verses 7 through 10. Genesis 3, 7 through 10. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And that's just not that they were actually the physical nakedness. Now they were naked before God in their sin. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. Toward evening they heard the Lord God, and of course that says in the cool of the day, this translation says toward evening. Toward evening they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid themselves among the trees. They decided not to walk with God that day because they were walking at a guilty distance. The Lord God called to Adam, Where are you? Now don't you think God knew where Adam was? Of course He did. He's an omniscient God. He knows everything. But He's trying to get Adam to realize that he has sinned and he needs to get some stuff right. The Lord God called Adam, where are you? He replied, (laughs) you ever wonder if he was behind a bush? I heard your voice in the garden. (laughs) I heard you, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Isn't one of the main reasons we don't walk with God is because we're ashamed of some stuff we're doing. And we know if we come into the light, He'll expose the darkness. We know that there will be some things He tells us we need to deal with in our heart. And so it's just a lot easier to speak to God from over here. 
See, the great challenge of walking with God is not being somewhat near Him. It's being this near to Him every day. There is real guilt and there is false guilt. And both will keep you away from God. Real, genuine guilt, authentic guilt, because you've sinned, and false guilt. Let me tell you about real guilt first, and we're going to wrap it up in false guilt. Okay? Real guilt is something like this. As I told you, you know, I grew up in a church morning, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I got saved when I was 10 years old. My family was very close to my pastor. Preacher Hatfield is what we called him. Very close to him. But then I got away from God. I dropped out of church for years. And uh, I, I played heavy metal and guitar. And we had one of these little bands, you know, one of these little garage bands. And as a friend of mine said, the only reason we played back guitar back then is to pick up chicks. <laughs> we wanted to be cool in front of those chicks. But anyway, I still love the guitar. And so we played at a local gymnasium and had a party there. And, you know, I'm sitting there smoking my cigarettes, playing the devil's music and stuff like that. Uh, dressed, and I even had these <laughs> back then, looked like Judas Priest. I had uh, these little spikes, you know, in my hands right there. Could y'all imagine that? I had spikes on my hands. I'm playing guitar. I walk outside to smoke a cigarette with my buddies. And all of a sudden, I see Preacher Hatfield going by in his car. And you know what I did? I hid behind the car. You know why? Because he was a godly man, full of God. And I did just like Adam did. I hid from God. You know, some of us are hiding from God today. We may read our Bibles, we may pray a little bit, but we're over here instead of here. And God said, before you get over here, you've got to deal with this guilt problem. Look what the Bible says in 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we are living in the light of God's presence, that's here, just as Christ does, then we have wonderful fellowship and joy with each other, and the blood of Jesus, thank God, cleanses us from every sin. Did He cleanse me from all that sin? Absolutely. He allowed me to start walking with Him. Then verse 9, But if we confess, that is, we agree with God about our sins, He can be depended on to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. And it's perfectly pro proper for God to do this for us because Jesus paid it all. Because Christ died to wash away our sins. But if the devil cannot get you feeling you've got real guilt, you know what he'll do? He will deceive you and give you a bunch of false guilt. Oh, I dealt with this for years. I felt so guilty all the time. Some of it was real but a lot of it was false. I'm telling you, the reason this is the greatest challenge because the devil knows when you live here, you'll find real life, you'll find real power. God will use your life. You'll be so fulfilled. And so listen, if he can't get you sinning, he will make you, in feeling guilty about your sin, he will make you feel and keep you here through false guilt. Now I love this verse here. 
Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's another verse. So those who are believers in Christ, those who are saved, can no longer be condemned. You can't be condemned once you're saved. Then another translation. So now those who are in Christ Jesus are not judged guilty. So some of you need to deal with real guilt. And some of you need to say, God, I don't know if this is real guilt or not, but would you please give me discernment? Because even it may be false guilt, it'll keep you walking here. You need to ask God, show me real guilt, false guilt, so I can get over there and take life's greatest challenge. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me?